have been a couple of developments in recent days, well, more than a few, about the new public media entity. TVNZ fusing with RNZ as Aotearoa New Zealand Public Media. So where did it start and where's it going to end? Yes, the developments are indeed stacking up. So the first really happened a week ago, last Wednesday. The Parliamentary Committee, looking over the legislation for uh, the new entity, published almost a 1,000 public submissions. Uh, these included ones from rival media companies who outlined their objections. We looked at some of those on Media Watch a couple of weeks back. Also just ordinary citizens uh, airing their concerns and uh, their preferences and so on. So uh, this came up again today in, in the House because Willie Jackson was uh, grilled about this by the opposition. Also about the possibility of you know ratings falling, audiences falling at TVNZ and the commercial impact of that kind of raises the spectre of you know previous labour interventions in uh, particularly television broadcasting with TVNZ where TVNZ would kind of forced to do things that weren't really in its commercial interest. So that all getting pretty interesting. It was reported in uh, the News Hub at 6 Bulletin tonight. News Talk ZB had a fair bit of it um, throughout the day. And then uh, the committee also held its first hearing on this, that parliamentary committee overlooking the legislation for Aotearoa New Zealand Public Media. And that was a fairly light grilling there of the broadcasting minister. But in that... Uh, he said that TVNZ needed a change of attitude to drive the change of culture that will be needed for this new entity. And that was interpreted by some in the media as kind of TVNZ uh, perhaps resisting or dragging the chain. Um, and that was the bit that uh, the media made stories of. It's become a, a very political issue as if it wasn't already. Um, mm. But do you think the media seized onto that particular issue of it to fan the flames uh, for when it becomes, you know, possible problems uh, of a merger? Well, possibly. I mean, there's obvious media interest in the story itself because they're interested in the media themselves, a bit of self-interest, I suppose, in that. Uh, but look, it was a fairly public prod from the minister uh, to say that about TVNZ and their attitude. So certainly relevant and newsworthy uh, for the media to mention it. But my opinion, I mean, it's not all that revealing because we've known that TVNZ was going to find this transition to uh, from a highly commercial entity into being part of a new entity that's public service and not-for-profit, that that was going to be uh, awkward. Uh, a lot for the, the board and the management when it takes over to deal with there. But, um, yeah, some people were thinking, well, maybe the minister there is getting concerned that the TVNZ might be trying to hang on for a change of government because uh, they don't support the merger or certainly the spending on it. Whether they'd actually unpick it is another matter, possibly not. Um, but, you know, for example, one person writing about it, Duncan Grieve of the spin-off, he described Willie Jackson's comments as the minister trying to remind TVNZ, look, this is happening, get with the programme. He, he was slightly overwrought, in my opinion, he was saying this is a, a dark day for the merger that Willie Jackson made those comments and evidence of, you know, simmering tensions. But, I mean, all this has been going on for some months now. He thinks it was, a, you know, a, a kind of a, a sign of tensions erupting. But, you know, a more significant development was another one, which is that they're going to change the way they fund content via uh, the Government Broadcasting Funding Agency New Zealand on air. And how does that? How is that going to factor into it? This was a bit cheeky. I think New Zealand on air uh, on a Friday afternoon before the long weekend that we've just had. A uh, good time to slip out news if you don't want the media to pay too much attention to it. Uh, in, a, in an email that was entitled "Quick Updates from New Zealand on Air," innocuous title there. The uh, agency confirmed that the minister had told them from next year, eighty-five million dollars of its budget would be reallocated from New Zealand on air to the new entity. And uh, the update said that had been confirmed in a letter on September the 7th. So 
Almost 43 million of that is RNZ's annual budget, which, uh, as I mentioned earlier, just gets funneled through New Zealand on air to RNZ. Um, but $40 million of that was uh, an estimate uh, by the government of the uh, roughly the amount of that contestable funding that New Zealand on air awards to projects to be made mostly by independent producers that end up screening on NZ on air. So it's kind of made a guess and chucked that sum in. And there's a bit more money too for other projects that New Zealand on air funds. For example, um, there's the local democracy reporting service actually run by RNZ, but that employs reporters in newspaper newsrooms around the country and so on. Uh, so, and other, other things, other projects funded currently by that Public Interest Journalism Fund. This is getting confusing now, isn't it? But that's also run by New Zealand on air and also runs out next year, which is the same year the new entity comes into being. So, yeah, that's part of the reason for this rejig. Can I just ask you a few questions there um, on those figures that you mentioned then? Uh, RNZ's Budget remains unchanged at $43 million, or is that an increase? Uh, no, that's that's pretty much unchanged. I mean, effectively, there is no RNZ budget from the following year because it's all Aotearoa New Zealand public media. So it all becomes part of that, uh, I think, $109 million, uh, per year over the next three years that was, uh, that was apportioned in Budget 2022. So there'll be a bigger budget, uh, or, the, or the kitty will be able to be dipped into by both parties. Exactly, that's exactly right. They'll have that amount for the new board, the new management, to apportion to TV content, radio content, online, multimedia stuff, a uh, commission from outside producers. That's what they've got to work with. So the sum of money that already goes to those two entities, that's what the government's kind of made a guesstimate of and said, actually, we'll take that away from New Zealand and give it to uh, the, new, the new entity. Right, so RNZ will no longer be funded by New Zealand on air if the merger goes ahead. That's out out of the picture. Um, so the balance of that eighty five million dollars, let's say um, forty two million dollars, is that equal to the amount that New Zealand on air already administer for local programs on TVNZ or more? Well, it's not just TVNZ. Like I said earlier, that they guessed at about forty million of the contestable fund, uh, so a pretty pretty sizable chunk of the contestable fund for things like comedy, drama, and so on. Um, uh, that that's what they've guessed is is TVNZ's uh, slice of that funding. But I've actually got the letter here. So the letter that was sent to New Zealand on air by uh, the Broadcasting and Media Minister Willie Jackson does say at the end. Um, Long-term funding for New Zealand on air, so appropriation component, roughly, it's it's basically saying it will have uh, for 2023-24, 70 million dollars. There was even another development about all this that yesterday um, the Ministry for Culture and Heritage published a strategic framework for a sustainable media system. So a very long document there wrapping up all the things that they're trying to do, which um, also gives you a sense of all the strands that are in play at the moment. I forgot to mention earlier <laughs> we were going through that list of, of developments, and it's kind of weird. i just um, looking through the little chart here. There is a bit in it that says, you know, one of the things, the specific actions to support a vibrant media sector is enhancing the role of New Zealand on air. Since it's important to all these uh, cultural objectives, and the ministry will work to ensure um, that it's uh, operating in a contemporary digital environment and so on. But yeah, it doesn't mention at any point that a large slice of its funding was going to be uh, disappearing.
So, I mean, New Zealand on Air was created 30-something years ago. Um, the political imperative was to provide contestable funding. Yeah, this is this is the big sort of philosophical change, if you like, because, yeah, that was the politics of the time. You, you, you don't want all your funding captured by one public provider, so making it contestable, and uh, it was part of the deregulation of broadcasting and so on. I mean, most countries do it differently. You know, they have a public broadcast like the ABC in Australia or the BBC in the UK or whatever where people pay some sort of fee or the taxes pay for it um, from the central government. So here we don't have that. We have a state-owned TV company that's highly commercial and a little uh, smaller radio broadcast in and, uh, and RNZ. And, of course, both RNZ TV and Z do multimedia content as well. So that's what the government is trying to update, saying this doesn't make sense in the new digital environment heading into the future. We'll, we'll create a joined-up entity, and uh, that involves actually giving more money directly to the new public media entity, and they will be accountable for that, how they spend it. So winners and losers, who are the losers in this? Mm. Well, initially, uh, you know, it looks like New Zealand on air itself, they get a smaller budget, so its kingdom uh, becomes smaller. It's a lot of this sort of content you imagine will now be commissioned and done by the new entity so that's one um, but effectively uh, the production companies the television production companies that have for year, years uh, bidded for uh, this contestable fund of uh, public money via New Zealand on air um, if the broadcasters want to show the programs they pitch they they apply for the funding they get it they make it so for example on News Hub at 6 tonight, uh, John Barnett, the, the former head of South Pacific Pictures, uh, was saying, look, companies could go bust now. There's less money in that contestable pot. Uh, so the screen production industry would suffer a bit. The Screen Producers Association uh, president is Irene Gardner. They put out a statement uh, the um, uh, on Monday uh, saying once they digested this, this move, saying this wasn't unexpected, but we want clarity about exactly what the funding for local production will be and where this actually leaves New Zealand on air. So another question is whether um, public service style content uh, that this new public media entity is going to commission, does that then mean that New Zealand on air will have a very different role? Should they be commissioning more sort of crowd-pleasing sort of comedy and drama, more sort of populist, if you want to use that word, type of content? Or will they more closely mirror what the public media entity does. I mean, we don't know. The public media entity doesn't have its own management or structure um, or strategy at all yet. So all this uh, up in the air and uh, yet to be yet to be determined. Yeah, might change tomorrow. You never know. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there will actually be uh, on tomorrow a, a select committee, uh, the next of the, of the hearing. So last week it was the minister. Uh, tomorrow the screen producers, I think, will be speaking to the committee and to the, the MPs on the committee and saying these things. You know, they say we'll be lobbying the government to make sure both entities are sufficiently funded to li- deliver on the objectives. But, of course, as producers, they want to be uh, ensure that their production companies, their members, uh, you know, who employ people and create the content have done for years uh, – uh, will still have reliable streams of public money uh, to depend upon. So they will be nervous about uh, you know, this money going directly to uh, a broadcaster that they don't yet know the measure of and who will be, who will be running it, whereas you know, they've become pretty familiar with and indeed dependent on uh, New Zealand on air over these last 30 years. What's your view uh, if the government does change next year on whether uh, it could be just put to one side, scrapped? <laughs> 
Well, I, I, I doubt it on the on the say so really of uh, their long standing spokesperson for broadcasting and, and media, Melissa Lee. She has actually said a couple of times, "We're a sensible government, and we won't unpick it." So I, I don't know whether that means they would actually reverse commitments in the budget that were made. But the short termism is a real problem. So budget 2022, which said that was the first time we had any inkling of how much the government was prepared to commit in financial terms to this new public media body. Uh, and they, they announced $109 million of funding over the three years. Now, at that point, of course, people did wonder, well, does that mean New Zealand only money would drop? Now we know that it will. So it's not quite the bonanza that people thought it was at the time. But uh, just this morning, uh, Wednesday morning on Morning Report, Christopher Luxon was being interviewed and making points in general about the government uh, spending too much money and uh, wasteful spending that needed to be reined in. The first thing he seized on, and it's, uh, he's done this several times, was to say, you know, a prime example is the merger of RNZ and TVNZ. He says, not necessary, it's a waste of money. Of course, it's insignificant in terms of the general economy and what's really driving inflation. But he has not hesitated to uh, to point to that as a, as a simple example that uh, he thinks, you know, the public can grasp of, of money that, in his mind, does not need to be spent. So, yeah, they don't support the merger. Whether they'd really unpick it uh, remains to be seen. Um, I suspect not, but you never know, like, they could make budget decisions. The economy gets worse if they're in charge. You know, who knows? But beyond the three years that the government's committed uh, at, at Budget 2022, we absolutely have no idea. Let's move on to a radio interview with a teenage climate activist. Uh, this has created quite a bit of controversy. Uh, yes, <laughs> it has indeed. So over the, over the, this actually happened last week as well, but it kind of built up a bit on social media over the weekend. So uh, last Friday, this was Heather Duplessis Allen on her News Talk ZB uh, Drive show interviewed uh, a school climate strike organiser called Izzy Cook, who's 16 years old, about the demands of the movement. Uh, now, Heather Duplessis Allen was, you know, dismissive of the movement from the outset. Uh, she even called it a, a kiddie strike before she got 16-year-old Izzy on the line and then quite aggressively questioned her first up about the main demand they made, which was that we need to reduce emissions from agriculture. Having, you want us to shoot half the cows? No, not shoot half the cows. Um, it's a kind of... It would mean if you were talking in a literal sense that you would be um, kind of having less cows reproducing as much so that eventually you wouldn't kill the current cows, but eventually you would be able to get to about 3 million because we're looking to half it from um, the New Zealand peak of cows of 6.3 million. That was in 2019. Well, Heather loves cows, she loves cars, and she doesn't want to have to think about changing her lifestyle in any way, but did Izzy Cook win that round? Well, I thought that was a good answer. Uh, You know, the the interview shouldn't be a point-scoring competition, of course, but that was a silly question. I mean, no-one's proposing there'll be an en masse uh, killing in one go of half the nation's um, dairy herd. Um, Of course, it's going to be a sinking lid, and even the Climate Change Commission's plan for 2050, you know, does say this, reducing animal herds would be uh, over time. But this does, uh, and, and at the time of the uh, Climate Change Commission's plan came out, this question was asked, reducing the national herd will mean reducing our national export income. So legitimate to ask about that. So here is how Heather Duplessis-Allen put that to Izzy Cook. So what are we going to do then? If we're, not, if we're not sending our dairy and beef overseas to try to make some money to pay for you to go to school, um, what are we going to make money from, Izzy? Mm, so... 
her, her answer to that was, uh, well, you know, less emissions intensive production. But, you know, you get the you get the, the picture there from Heather Duplessis-Allen's approach there, sort of personalising, like, who's going to pay for you to go to school? Yeah, not really necessary. So far it sounds confrontational, but par for the course because Heather wasn't cutting her any slack. Confrontational and a bit aggressive, I suppose, and particularly it you know, sounds bad when it's a young person, but it did go up a notch. Uh, so soon after that, this was when the question came up of whether we should limit uh, non-essential air travel. Am I allowed to go to Fiji? Is that necessary? In the current climate crisis, I don't think that that's necessary. When was the last time you were on a plane? Mm, I'm not sure, maybe a few months ago, to be honest. Where'd you go? Fiji. Izzy! (laughs) Izzy! Don't you care about the climate, Izzy? Of course I care about the climate. Not enough. You went to to Fiji. Oh dear, she's uh, dining out on that one. Yeah, someone's actually looped that hysterical laughter um, and <laughs> put it out on the internet. It's quite a challenging listen, actually. Um, challenging. Yeah, yeah <laughs> yes it is. Uh, but I mean, as he actually went on to explain, look, the trip to Fiji was her parents' idea. She would have made that choice personally and, you know, in a sense she has to live in the world as it is as a 16-year-old. But I mean, Heather Duplessis Ellen wasn't really listening to that. What was the public reaction? Well, um, people didn't like the way that she was mocking a young person who was doing her best to, you know, engage properly and sincerely answer the questions. Uh, so they saw it as a gratuitous bullying of a young person um, and, a, you know, who represented a cause that Heather Duplessis Ellen didn't respect. Um, but others saw it as, you know, ironic and pretty funny that in their mind an uppity kind of activist uh, apparently had not practised what she'd been preaching to other school kids and to, to the nation. This was a national movement and she was a spokesperson. So I don't like doing this thing of, you know, doing a kind of ideological sniff test on people, but people on social media who wanted their views to be known, some, you know, leaning to the right, you know, found it hilarious and backed Heather Duplessis Ellen for exposing what they thought was hypocrisy. People who tend to lean to the left felt it was um, bullying unnecessary and that um, the uh, Izzy Cook had been victimised. Is anybody making a formal complaint? Well, some say they will, but people often uh, say they'll do that, um, go to the Broadcasting Standards Authority about it. But when considering you know, the fairness of all this, I mean, there were, there were a couple of other interesting parts of the programme I thought were relevant. So after the interview, Heather Duplessis-Allen did what ZB guest uh, hosts rather often do, off the back of getting in the text uh, feedback and that that's critical in reading it out. So once the guest's off the line, they simply can't respond to that. So here's part of that last Friday. Now, I did not expect that Izzy went to Fiji, right? I, I didn't know that. I was just asking a question and then that's what happened. And then all of a sudden I saw this, the, 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 the protest in a completely different light. And the light that I now see the protest in is, with respect, a bunch of middle-class kids who are doing this for something to do on a Friday and so they can they can showcase their credentials on the environment, right? If you're going to say that you're going to do this stuff, you have to do it yourself. Now, there's plenty more where that came from. She read out a lot of that stuff post-interview. You know, She said, look, if people want to play in the grown-up world of politics, make political and economic points about our whole country and industry, then part of that is they've got to expect to be treated like an adult, face tough questions, and have their own choices scrutinised. Fair enough. Well, yeah, in principle it would be, but you know, stereotyping her like that, saying she was you know, describing her as a middle class youth activist who was you know looking for something to do, was a big assumption on her part. And subsequently, the spin-off 
invited Izzy Cook to write about that experience of that interview. But her mother uh, responded instead, writing the piece, pointed out that Izzy Cook had only taken a couple of flights in about three years. She does live a low-carbon lifestyle, uses public transport. Uh, She says Izzy works very hard to mobilise youth voice on this climate issue on top of schoolwork and a part-time job, you know, working late into the night. So a very different picture. She also said, uh, Rose Cook, Izzy's mum, that Heather Duplessis had checked out her daughter's Instagram uh, and maybe found out about the Fiji trip that way, you know, in a way to discredit her. But as we heard there, Heather Duplessis said she didn't know that Izzy had been to Fiji, and that was all a big surprise to her when she asked that question about, you know, am I allowed to go to Fiji? But another part of the interview is she read out uh, Heather Duplessis a text from a guy called Scott in Napier before the interview saying. Uh, I want you to ask Izzy Cook these questions, you know, about the climate strike. You know, why should we not fly places? And, you know, what will we do if we're not sending our food around the world? You know, people elsewhere in the world will starve. She said, I'm going I'm to ask those questions. I'm going to raise that. So it did sound like she had responded to a listener wanting Izzy Cook to be put on the spot. So that does make it seem a little as if, you know, she was targeted from the get-go. And do you think it was unfair? Well, I don't know. I mean, technically, in terms of broadcasting standards, I would doubt it. It's a pretty high bar. She wasn't ambushed, anything like that. She was representing a movement, invited to be interviewed, possibly knew what she was up for. So not unfair in terms of like a breach of broadcasting standards, but making assumptions about people's character once they're off the line and they can't respond that, that does seem unfair. And it's certainly not classy or graceful you know but also look a wasted opportunity because news media really often ignores people of this age you know what could have been an enlightening interview if it had been you know better handled and uh, she'd been prepared to actually inquire about Izzy Cook's commitment and lifestyle you know would have been would have been much better. Well, someone who backed Heather Duplessis-Ellen on this was Sean Plunkett and uh, offered to get uh, Heather Duplessis-Ellen and Izzy Cook on his outlet, The Platform, to to talk it out. I'm guessing that didn't happen. (laughs) No, it hasn't hasn't so far as I am aware. But uh, yeah, Sean made his uh, feelings known on social media, saying that Izzy would have learned a lesson about walking the talk and truly thinking through your positions. And he said Heather Duplessis-Ellen did what any journalist should do and test the veracity of someone who was putting themselves in the public eye. But um, he's been in the news for other things this week um, for, you know, saying that Brenton Tarrant shouldn't be described as a terrorist. Um, That's got uh, him some more uh, opprobrium and, and pushback from other journalists and uh, commentators. but can I, can I just ask you, what does he think the description should be? Well, I think his point was that he was convicted for a lot of murders. So he, was just, he said he should be described as a mass murderer. And there was, uh, but he, I think he, he said uh, that he hadn't been convicted of terrorism, whereas other people pointed out that, in fact, he had, and the first person to be convicted under, under that law. So, I mean, just technically it's wrong. But he seems to want to make a, a quite a... Uh, an individual point about the nuance in that and I don't quite know why he would want to make a strong point of that but he also uh, created his own sort of awkward piece of on-air live interview um, as did Heather Duplessis and he interviewed um, Kerry Hannafin of Countdown who's become a a fairly um, familiar voice uh, over the times of lockdown and so on speaking about uh, the supermarket business and this was Countdown had put out a press release about what it was doing for uh, Te Wikio Te Reo Māori and its use of Te Reo uh, in and around Countdown supermarkets. Countdown agreed to do an interview with this, with the platform, but apparently because she believed it was actually with RNZ. 
when they found out it was with the platform, Countdown or maybe Kerry herself backed out of the interview. So the platform called her back, and on the air, Sean Plunkett accused Countdown of just sort of seeking good PR but not being willing to enter into public debate on their platform. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, thank you for your view. We know that's not correct, but that... Well, well, well what is correct then, Kerry? What is correct? Am I on air, Sean? Yeah. That's incredibly misleading. No, it's not. I asked for an interview, and you said yeah, you'd give one, so now we're having it. For these very reasons. No, that's, that's really, really not okay. Well, I think promising so to give an interview and then not giving it isn't okay. Hmm. Awkward. <laughs> yeah, and this has happened before on the platform. Uh, there's one instance with a, a Massey University academic who was unwilling to be interviewed and they called a putter on the air. You know, there are circumstances in which a broadcaster can put people live to air like that or, or record them without necessarily without their consent. But that's if the public interest really justifies it or if there's no other way of getting uh, information on an issue of significance uh, out there. And, you know, this really wasn't that sort of issue and while you know the platform is an online outlet it's not a broadcaster so it's more or less free to do what it's like it's not subject to uh, the broadcasting standards authority's jurisdiction uh, and doesn't necessarily have to uphold its standards of um, balance fairness accuracy and so on but you know the more they do this um, confront people like this and then put them on the air to, to make a point um, I think they're going to find that institutions and you know public figures are are not really going to be willing to be interviewed very often.